are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 15, down through verse number 21. The Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. By the way, that is certainly the logic of the world, isn't it? The world would say, get even with that person, get revenge, but the Christian life does not seek revenge, but the Christian life offers forgiveness. But there's worldly logic there in their thinking. The Bible says, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I want to draw your attention to the statement that Joseph makes. It's familiar to us and no doubt you've read it, maybe heard it even preached on before. But this is what God spoke to my heart about to give to you today. And Joseph responds and he makes this statement and he says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Now I don't believe Joseph would have probably made that statement in chapter 37. I'm not so sure that he would have been able to stand there and look in the face of his brethren fresh in the pit or Potiphar's house or the prison, as we always alliterate it, and maybe make that statement. But I think this is Joseph having been seasoned by his season, if you will. And now he has the blessing of hindsight, and he can look back on what he never could see his way through. And as he looks back on it, he can see that though it felt like things were falling apart, God was orchestrating his steps according to his purpose. For a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought, this statement. Maybe you've made this statement before. I know I have. But I want to preach on this thought. That's not how it was supposed to happen. Have you ever said that before? I mean, in the heat of it, that's just not how it was supposed to happen. Let's pray, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, please. I pray that you'd help us this, this morning. No doubt there are people here who need this message. And God, I pray that you'd help me to preach it exactly the way that you would have me to. Help us, Lord, to have our faith anchored in you as we venture into a new year. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever been disappointed? To be disappointed means to be depressed or discouraged by the failure of one's hopes or expectations. Let me say that again. To be disappointed means to be depressed or discouraged by the failure of one's hopes or expectations. Have you ever been disappointed? I'll confess to you this morning and say, I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed at many different seasons in life. There have been times when my hopes or my expectations fell apart and 
I experienced a season of disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? Have people ever disappointed you? Have circumstances ever disappointed you? Has a job ever disappointed you? Has a purchase ever disappointed you? Maybe a church, I don't know, a place. Have you ever been disappointed? Now, speaking from a fleshly standpoint, strictly a carnal standpoint, I'll ask this question, and we probably would not want to answer it publicly, but maybe in your private thoughts you would say yes to this. Has God ever disappointed you? I mean, the God who created us, has He ever disappointed you? The God who died on a cross for us, has He ever disappointed you? A God who the Bible says cares for us daily, has He ever disappointed you? We sing songs like, only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. But hasn't there been times in our life where it was sort of hard to trust Him? We used to sing the song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. But there's been times when I've questioned where those everlasting arms were leading me in life. Have you ever had your expectations fall apart? Have you ever been disappointed? Now, if you live long in this world at all, it will happen. The Bible says man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. There's many things this morning that would differentiate between us, but there's one thing that ties us all together, and that is this. We'll have to deal with trouble, and with trouble often comes disappointment. Sometimes our plans fall through. Our dreams fail to become reality. Our wants seem more like wishes. And the life that we set out to build for ourselves is susceptible to fall to the ground. Let me ask you again, have you ever been disappointed? I've heard this statement, the best of men are men at best. But I think we can also say the best of man's plans are still the plans of man at best. I don't know if you're like this or not, but I like to have my life planned out, and I like to be the one who plans it out. I can't see much past the uh, bridge of my nose, but I like to think I know exactly how my life ought to be and how my life ought to go. And because of that, we're prone to be let down, and life will disappoint us. As we are, so are our plans. We're finite, and so are our plans. We're frail, and so are our plans. We're flawed, and so are our plans. We have a fallen nature, and with that comes failure, and that's how our plans are. To put it plainly, sometimes things just don't go the way we think they ought to go. Things just don't happen the way we think they ought to happen. At times, we sit in the ashes like Job and we say, this is not how it was supposed to happen. We find ourselves regretting a bad decision like David and we say, this is not how it was supposed to happen. Maybe at times we feel like a failure, as did Peter. And in those moments of failure, we look at our life and declare, this is not how it was supposed to happen. We didn't plan that untimely death. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. We didn't plan to lose a job. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. We didn't plan to have that health issue. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. We didn't plan the tragedy. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. We didn't plan the turmoil. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. While we were home for break, my wife and I traveled to Kentucky where we used to live so she could visit uh, with one of her friends. And every time I go to that town, I think about uh, a, a family in the church where we were. And I remember getting a phone call driving to Asheville, North Carolina, and hearing the news that a good family in our church had been involved in an automobile accident. I'm talking about a clean living family, the father, a preacher, a, the 17-year-old son. I've got his picture on my cell phone, surrendered to preach in a, conf, a, a youth conference, just a good family. 
And as they were driving home from visiting their family in Texas, a a semi-truck struck their van and killed every male member of the family. And I remember going to the church and there was four blue caskets in front of the church. And I remember standing there thinking, this is not how it was supposed to happen. I remember my wife basically moving in with my grandmother as she was dying with cancer. And my grandmother was a faithful pastor's wife and a sweet lady and a prayer warrior and a Bible studier and just a good woman. I remember watching as she lost her eyesight because of the tumor in her brain and I saw her struggling to be able to move and my wife having to take care of just the basic needs in her life. I remember seeing her like that. I remember how she used to be and I thought that is not how it was supposed to happen. We don't plan for medicine boxes. We don't plan for handicap tags. We don't plan the past due notices. We don't plan for heartache or hurt or disappointment. That's just not how it's supposed to happen. We don't plan for nursing homes. We plan for delivery rooms. We plan for inflation, not depression. We plan for mountaintops, so we don't plan for valleys. We plan birthdays. We don't like to plan memorial services. We don't plan divorces. We don't plan for unemployment. We don't plan for a prodigal son. We don't plan for a disease. We plan for sunshine, not shadow. That's just not how it's supposed to happen. It's sort of like the painter who paints landscapes and never puts a cloud on the horizon because he just can't stand the clouds. That's sort of how we'd like to live our life. If you and I were given the pen to write the story of our life, our script would always be a tale of triumph. We'd never pin a tragedy because that's not how it's supposed to happen. Our schemes never add negatives to the positive. We would just always add positive upon positive to the formula of life. We don't plan for sudden change. We don't plan for discomfort. We don't plan for instability because in our mind, that is not how it's supposed to happen. Let me ask you the question, have you ever been disappointed? We quote Romans 8, 28, but sometimes with a private slant upon it, and we think things will both be good and work out for good. And when the shadows interrupt our sunshine or the storm intrudes upon our calm, we're quick to be shocked and even sideways with the circumstances that life throws at us. But even worse than that, if we're not careful, we get shocked and even sideways with the God that's in control of the circumstances that life throws at us. And we never take our fist and shake it at God, but sometimes we'll take our lack of faith and shake it in God's direction and say, that is not how it was supposed to happen. Have you ever been disappointed before? God answers our prayers, but not in the way we asked Him to answer our prayers, and sometimes we get disappointed. We pray for a lost loved one to get saved, and they don't get saved, and sometimes we get disappointed. The rocky stretch of life arrives, and we wonder if God is really ordering our steps, and we get disappointed. The supply runs low, and we know Philippians 4.19 says all, but then we wonder, does it really mean all, and we sort of get disappointed. When we don't understand and our reality doesn't match our hypothesis, the flesh's reaction is to question the strength of God. And let me ask you, have you ever been disappointed before? Have you ever been let down? You ever been in that place where things just didn't go the way you thought they could go? And at times, maybe you would even admit and say, I've been frustrated and disappointed with God. Sometimes as we stand at ground zero of whatever it is, We go through it and scratch our heads and lower our shoulders and declare to the world and even the one who made the world, that's not the way it was supposed to happen. Have you ever read the story of Joseph? I love a man with a dream. Man, I admire a man who has a vision. I wouldn't put much stock in a preacher or even a Christian individual who didn't have some sort of a dream to do something for God. You read the story of Joseph and you pick it up in chapter 37 and you find Joseph had a dream. 
by the way, at the beginning of a new year, what a great time to get a dream for your family and to get a dream for your marriage, to get a dream for your ministry, to get a dream for the church, to get a dream for our nation, a dream for revival. Joseph had a dream. In Joseph's dream, he did not see a pit. In Joseph's dream, he didn't see a prison. In Joseph's dream, he didn't see Potiphar's house. In Joseph's dream, he didn't see slander. He didn't see pain. He did not see the, uh, uh, the, the peril that he'd be put in by the hand of his brethren. He had a dream, and in his dream, he saw himself exalted and his brethren offering obeisance to him. And Joseph saw that dream, and I see that and think, that's the way it ought to happen. I mean, Joseph had his life laid out. Joseph had the script written. God laid it on his heart. Joseph knew how to get to point be. Joseph knew God was going to exalt his life. And then we read the story of Joseph and we find it didn't go that way. He didn't plan for that to happen. There's no way Joseph thought he would end up in a pit with his brethren going to his father and saying, he's dead and animals torn him to pieces. He never dreamed to get to the exaltation. He'd have to go through being sold into slavery. That's not how it's supposed to happen. He didn't think he'd have to go to Potiphar's house and be tempted day by day and lied upon and slandered. That wasn't how it's supposed to happen. He didn't think he'd go to prison and be left in prison, forgotten for two years. That's not how it was supposed to happen. It seemed like God got it wrong. I think about Abraham following God by faith and God's going to bless him and make him a great nation and God gives him a son of promise. And then all of a sudden on Mount Moriah, God says, Abraham, I want you to kill Isaac. Can I say, that's not how it was supposed to happen. I'm sure Abraham thought, what, what is God doing? It's not how it's supposed to happen, Job. Job was the greatest man in the East, a man blessed beyond all others. Job had his family, his wealth, his fields, and his flocks. And all of a sudden the devil comes and everything's taken away. I'd say as Job sat there and scratched the boils on his body, he probably thought to himself, that's not how it was supposed to happen. I'd say Elimelech thought, maybe even more so his wife, as she buried her husband out of the will of God in Moab. He had good intentions. He wanted to provide for his family. But here's what he did. He made up a decision on emotion, not on principle, and got his family out of the will of God. And he dies in Moab, and I'm sure as she sat there and mourned her husband, Naomi thought, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. I'd say there at Mary and Martha's house as they grieved the death of their brother and Jesus showed up late. They probably questioned God and thought to themselves, that is not the way it was supposed to happen. I think about John Bunyan, who was a faithful man. The, 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 the trade, he was just a tinkerer, a man who would mend household items. And John Bunyan was a zealous preacher, a nonconformist who stood against the Church of England and preached the pure gospel. I mean, if anybody should have been blessed by God, it's that man. And what did he get for it? He got thrown in prison. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. I think about that faithful group of people who decided to meet, though the night was snowy. They met in their little Methodist church around a pot-bellied stove, and they were wanting to seek God and have revival. And the preacher couldn't even make it to the service, and they probably stood around for a minute thinking, who's going to preach? This isn't the way it's supposed to happen. Doesn't God know what he's doing? This in the way that we had planned it. I think about Horatio Spafford, a man who was a Christian businessman, Presbyterian preacher as well. And I think about that man who'd done so much for the work of God. And in 1871, I believe it was, he had much real estate in Chicago. When the great fire came to Chicago, he lost his property. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. Later that year, his son died of scarlet fever. It's not the way it was supposed to happen. Two years later, 
his daughters with his wife, his four girls and his wife are traveling across the Atlantic Ocean and their ship was struck by a steel or a, 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 another vessel and their ship sank. And his wife sent him the telegram that simply said saved alone, signifying that all his baby girls were dead. That's not how he would have written the script for his life. That's not how it was supposed to happen. I remember my wife and I, when we first got in the ministry, and we didn't really know anybody or know what we were doing or anything like that. And we, we were uh, just, I was teaching in a, in a school and quit my job one day and just with full of zeal and no knowledge, launched out into the ministry. And because of that, we lost, we had to move out of our house into another place and things of that nature. Didn't have much money or anything like that. And then I remember the, 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 the meeting started to pick up and God began to bless a little bit. But the church that we were in uh, got some new people in it and they drifted off into, into bad doctrine. And I was 23 years old and didn't have any kind of Bible college degree. And the pastor was in his 60s. And I remember going there and sitting in front of that man and talking to him and pleading with him and, and talking to him about this doctrine that had come to church and had to make the decision to, to, to move ministries. And I remember the letters that went out to all the churches I preached in saying that I'd quit the ministry and we lost $1,000 a month in our income. And I looked at my wife and we didn't have anywhere to go and didn't have any money coming in. I thought, that is not the way. That is not the way. It was supposed to happen. I've told you the story before where we prayed for nine years for a baby and finally my wife got pregnant after much uh, trial and tribulation with that and then lost the baby. And I'll tell you something, that's not the way we would have written that story. That's not the way it was supposed to happen. But can I say, you could preach this sermon as well as I could. You could stand up here where I'm standing today and tell us your tale and you could echo that and say, there was a time when I stood there and I would say, that's not the way... It was supposed to happen. But now we find Joseph in chapter 50. And Joseph has been tempered by his trial. He's been seasoned by his season. He's been strengthened by the peril that he's gone through. And Joseph's brethren come to him. Now Genesis chapter 50 is a great reminder that God keeps his word and God promised Adam that if you disobey, you'll surely die. And now we find this chapter begins with a funeral and it ends with a funeral as well. And we've reminded the wages of sin is death. Now Jacob has died and Joseph's brethren come and stand before him and these are those who've done him wrong. These are those who've mistreated him. And now they believe that Joseph will seek retribution against them. And they come to Joseph to plead their case. And I see Joseph standing there and I thought about this as I meditated upon the scripture yesterday on those flights. I thought, now had this been chapter 37 Joseph, had this been an earlier Joseph, he might have contemplated getting even with his brethren. He might have sat there and thought, you know what? They did me wrong. I'll do this wrong. They mistreated me. I'll mistreat them. I'll show them who's in authority now. He's at the other end of the trial. He's in the place of exaltation. But Joseph, I'll say it again, has been tempered by his trial, seasoned by his season. He's learned some things. And as he looks back on what he couldn't see his way through, he understands that through it all, God's hand had been guiding his life and God's hand had been directing his life and God's hand had been steering his life. And as he stands on the place of exaltation and looks back on the trial and looks back on the valley and he looks back on the mistreatment. He understands though he thought that it was a disappointment. It was a divine appointment and God had been in control the entire time and he makes a statement and I think we need this statement for a new year. We need this statement for a new day. We need this statement every day that we live and here it is as for you, you thought it evil against me but watch this. But God, by the way, you got to add God into the equation every once in a while. 
but God meant it unto good. Boy, this verse reveals a lot about God to us. Shows us that God is personal, God is passionate, and God is providential in his working in the life of his children. But it also shows us a lot about Joseph, doesn't it? Boy, Joseph has grown in grace. Joseph has discovered a golden nugget of truth. He understands man proposes, but God disposes. Consider Joseph. Now, he's in the place of exaltation. I'd say sitting in the pit, he thought this isn't how it's supposed to happen. But now he looks back on the pit and he'd probably say this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. He looks back being sold into slavery and he had probably thought at the time this is not how it was supposed to happen. But now he can look back and say, you know what, that was exactly how it was supposed to happen. I'd say that he looked back and if he was there in Potiphar's house, he would think at the time this is not how it was supposed to happen. But now he can look back and say, that was exactly how it was supposed to happen. You see, God got Joseph from dream to the fruition of the dream, not in Joseph's way, but in God's way. Sometimes you and I are quick to shout, that's not how it's supposed to happen. But can I say, a voice could respond from heaven and say, that's exactly how it was supposed to happen. I think about Abraham offering Isaac and the picture it gives us of the sacrifice of Christ. I think about Moses who murdered a man, but on the backside of the desert, that's where he encountered a burning bush. I think about Elimelech dying out of the will of God, but that's where we're introduced to a girl named Ruth. I think about Elijah, who at the time probably thought, nobody else is serving him, but he can look back and find there's 7,000 who hadn't bowed the need to bail. I think about Job who in the trial thought that's not how it's supposed to happen. But on the far side of the trial he was blessed twice as much as at the beginning. I think about Lazarus who was dead in the tomb. But it gave Jesus opportunity to show us he's the resurrection and the life. I think about Peter who backslid and went fishing. But he found out that God's a God of restoration and it tempered his preacher to preach on the day of Pentecost. I think about Calvary as Jesus died on that cross. They probably thought that's not how it's supposed to happen. But on the third day, when the stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out on resurrection ground, they were shown that's exactly how it was supposed to happen. God is in control. God is guiding. God is working in the background of our life. Let me be personal and say I can look back on my ministry now and thank God for that. Because if it hadn't been for that move, it wouldn't have led to another move that led to this move. I can look back and I'm not happy that the baby that my wife was carrying is in heaven, but thank God for heaven that we'll see the baby again. And Amen. I'm not real thankful for, I, I, I'm not thankful that Horatio Spafford's daughters died in that tragic boat accident, but I sure do like it as well. I sure wish Charles Weigel's wife wouldn't have left him. That wasn't how it's supposed to happen. But I'm glad no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I'm sorry John Bunyan had to sit in prison, but I've been encouraged by reading Pilgrim's Progress, which he wrote in the prison cell. Boy, it's a shame that little church had to have a deacon preach on a snowy night in London around a pot-bellied stove, but I thank God for the sermons I've read from a man named Charles Spurgeon who got saved that night when it wasn't supposed to happen. And I know you're sitting here today and it's hard when you're at ground zero of whatever it is to say what Joseph said after the fact, but you can trust the God that will show you on the backside what he's doing in the midst of it is in control right now. Let me give you a few statements so we can close. Number one, victory is found in faith. If you're going to have a victorious new year, you must have faith. The Bible said in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
The world wants victory, but listen to me, Christian, you're promised it. You say, what do you mean? Victory is not caught from many streams. It's not mined out of a lot of different mines. It's not drawn from many different wells. It's found in one place, and victory is found in faith. Faith is the only garden that can grow victory. Faith is the only fertile soil that can produce victory. If we're to experience victory, then we must have faith in God every day. You say, what is faith? It's not something that's spooky. It's not something that you can't attain to. Here it is. It's simply depending upon God. Positional faith saved us. But it's practical faith that will give us victory every single day. We put faith in Christ to keep us out of hell for eternity. But can't we put enough faith in God to get us through whatever it is that will approach in life in 2020? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Second statement is this. Faith is trusting and depending on God, not understanding or agreeing or enjoying what God's doing all the time. It's just depending and trusting in God. Sometimes we mistake that. Faith gives us rest and peace because faith does not try to manipulate God to do our will. Faith does not try to manipulate God to conform to our plan, but rather faith conforms us to God's plan and God's will. What is faith? Faith marches around Jericho without even swinging a sword. What is faith? Faith sleeps in the ship while the storm rages. What is faith? Faith stares down a giant with just a sling and a stone. What is faith? Faith declares that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blesses His name anyhow. Faith maintains integrity in the pit. Faith maintains its integrity at Potiphar's house. Faith maintains integrity in the Egyptian prison. Faith forgives abusers and is at peace with God and His plan. Faith blesses those who curse and understands God works all things together for good. Faith gives rest. So if you're not resting, then it's not faith. Faith is not clinging. Faith is more like reclining on God, abiding, resting in God. We sing the song here often, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised, perfect peace and rest. You have to consign yourself to this. You're not always going to understand it. And you're surely not always going to agree with it. But you can always trust that God is working all things together for good to them who love Him. Third statement this, faith is trusting God with what will be understood at the finish, but is not understood at the start. Let me say it again. Faith is trusting God with what will be understood at the finish, but is not understood at the start. We used to sing the song growing up, we'll understand it better by and by. You ever heard the song? What about farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. What does that mean? That means this, you've got to be still and know that He is God. Faith is believing that God is right, even when we don't agree with what God is doing. Joseph dreamed, but I said he didn't dream about a pit. He didn't dream about a prison. He didn't dream about the pain of betrayal. But thank God he still saw the dream come to fruition because it was God who planned to exalt him and God who executed the plan. Faith gives victory when we allow faith to give us the understanding that disappointments are still divine appointments with God. I think about that song, It Is Well. Amen. Peace like a river, it says, attendeth my way. What about, it says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's faith. I promise you, if it hadn't happened yet, it will happen that there'll be a moment that rises in life where you're going to say quickly in haste because of our flesh, that's not how it's supposed to happen. 
But can I say, remind yourself about the story of Joseph and rest in confident faith in God that God is in control and he knows what he's doing in your life. I've quoted a verse of this poem here before, but I want to read it to you and I'll close. Lee Robertson used to quote this poem often. It says, My father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark and it might seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Though all the way seemed dark to me, he made not one mistake. That's not how it's supposed to happen. But Joseph would say, you know what? That's exactly how it was supposed to happen. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.